brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Soft Rep Radio, on time and on target. This week, it's Big Phil Campion again from across the pond, talking to you from London this time. And we've got some topics this week for you. I'm going to cover one of my dogs, a hunting dog this week. And some of you might be surprised by its uh, by its background and actually what it was bred for. So that's quite, it's going to be an interesting one on the dog's own life. We've obviously got the UK elections, which are going on right now. And I'd like to start a new thing with you and give you a broad brush of what we used to call the Troubles, or Operation Banner, which was the operation in Northern Ireland, which went on for quite some time, but we'll touch all that in a bit. Let's start off then very, very briefly with the elections. I know I've spoke a lot about the elections in the last few weeks, but it's obviously it's going on now. It affects all of us in the UK, and it could affect things like trade relations, etc., with the US. So you're not completely out of the water by the decisions that people make in this country. How's it going over here? Well, there are only, as I've alluded to before on my live show on, on SoftRep's Facebook page, there are only two parties here. You're either Conservative or you're Labour. In my opinion, anybody else casting a vote anywhere else whatsoever is just wasting their vote. You're not going to make a difference to the outcome of the election. You really aren't. Okay, so there are various other parties, the Liberal Democrats, the Brexit Party, this party, that party, the other party. But to stand any chance of winning anything, you need to be voting for Conservative or Labour. Both who claim to to, to represent the working man, although Labour more so, and both parties of which promise all sorts of different things, but in reality fail to deliver absolutely anything. As you can tell, I'm not I'm not massively into my politics. I've actually I've actually been on Sky News for a few political shows, but it's not something I enjoy. Politics nowadays, they never seem to be able to get it together for the good and benefit of everybody in the country. There's too much rowing, there's too much arguing, there's too much backbiting and point scoring, and it really is a difficult thing to to um to, to, to unravel. This year, however, in particular, there is a there is a connotation to this to this year's election in particular, whereby I think if the Labour Party get in, it is an absolute snub on our armed forces and our veterans community because The current Labour leader has failed repeatedly to denounce his support for various terrorist organisations around the planet. He can't deny that these relationships have gone on. He can't deny that he's forged quite happy friendships with the Irish Republican Army, with Hamas and various other groups. It's there to be seen. And he won't deny it. He just won't denounce their activities. And whatever he can't do that, there's a feeling within the community that how could we ever have somebody in charge of us who actually represents the very people we've put our boots on and gone and f- gone up against? So it's a very, very difficult one, this election. 
because there are too many people voting who don't really understand the problems and they only see what they're promised by these people. And obviously, Jeremy Corbyn from the Labour Party promises universities the world, promises students the world, promises old people the world, promises nurses and all the rest of them the world. Can they deliver? No, I doubt it. Will they deliver? Definitely not. But what they will do if they get in power is, is, is be, he in particular, has already been cited by MI5 and MI6 as not fit for security clearance in this country. Yeah, he could end up as the Prime Minister. It's an absolute joke. So I should be watching the elections very carefully to see how it unfolds, and I shall be hand on heart praying that the Labour Party do not win at this stage of the campaign while Jeremy Corbyn is still in charge of their party because I don't believe he has the interests of the country or the majority of people who are British in his own interests. He's on his own agenda He's definitely, you know, he definitely wants sponsor socialism and all that sort of stuff. He just isn't what I would say. The others aren't, I've got to tell you, right? So you look at you look at Boris Johnson, you know, people call him a bumbling buffoon, all the rest of the stuff. But out of the two of them, I'm afraid for me, he's more likely to do good for this country. So like I say, we'll just keep an eye on how things pan out. However they pan out, Although, you know, with Brexit, I mean, we voted to leave the European Union and it still hasn't happened yet. So who knows how the elections are going to end? Are we even a democratic state in the UK anymore? Or do we just do what we're told? Uh, or do we just keep voting until we get the answer that the, the, the minimum people want rather than what the majority want? Is that the way it is? Because that's the way it looks to me. It really does. Right, I'm not going to get all political on you, but like I say, politics, it's a very, very sad state of affairs nowadays in the UK as it is around the rest of the world. And although, you know you'd like to, you ain't never, ever going to keep everybody happy, but you would like to think you at least, you at least manages to keep your, keep your country in a, in a, in a really, fairly happy state. But there you go, politics. Okay, so, as I promised, I'm going to do the dogs last, I think, but what I want to talk to you about, first of all, whilst I'm on the subject of the Irish Republican Army, is the Troubles. Quite a sort of like broad brush, the Troubles. Well, it was more than trouble. It was it was over three decades worth of trouble. That's more than trouble to me. It was known as Operation Banner, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background information as to how things unfolded, and then a little bit of information on how the whole thing started, because this isn't something that just started in the 60s, and it's something that goes way back to the 1600s, and probably some would argue before that as well. So there's been bad blood in Ireland for well past anybody here can can remember it really has been a it really has been an uphill struggle for the people of Ireland for years and years and years and so operation banner came into force on the 14th of August 1969 and went on until the 31st of July 2007 it was the largest deployment continually of british troops in the history of the british army how did it all begin there well of the recent troubles we can we can date it back to 1969. And basically what was happening, the Catholic national nationalists were a minority and they were trying they were they were rallying to end what they saw as discrimination against them by the union or Pro- Protestants who had most of the seats within the government and the police. They felt crushed. Obviously Northern Ireland was you know was and is British, okay? It's 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 our corner of of, of that island with the Catholic nationalists wishing for, for a united Ireland. They didn't, they didn't want nothing to do with the Crown. They didn't want nothing to do with the British. They wanted a united Ireland, okay? 
As a minority, they were claiming to be discriminated against against the unionists who did want to remain under the control of the Crown, okay? So that's what you've basically got. That's how it was teed up. Now, originally, the British soldiers were deployed because it got to such a stage where, whilst the Catholics were demonstrating, the violence erupted. It was deemed that... And there was a couple of incidents where where, where the police were heavy-handed and people were hurt. And so the British Army went over there as an intermediary force, as a go-between, as a stand between the two two communities, which is a very, very difficult and thankless task in any capacity to do that sort of thing, especially when you're coming from... You're being sent by the Crown to stand up for both sides. It's a very thankless task. And indeed, as, as, as I've just alluded to, immediately they were welcomed by the Catholic nationalist people because they were a barrier between them and all this trouble that was going on between between the two communities, okay? So they were seen as, wow, thanks, thanks, we've, you've come, you've saved us, okay? But it's, it didn't last very long. This, what they call the honeymoon period, didn't last for long at all. It soon sort of like spilled over with a couple of incidents, which I'm going to go into in more detail later on. It soon spilled over that the Catholics rose up against the British army, who then in turn dug in against them while still trying to provide this barrier between the Unionists and the and the Loyalists. It was an insane position to be in for the British Army, to be honest, because they did have a duty of care to look after everybody, but one part of the community was actually fighting, bombing, shooting, bricking, spitting on, all this stuff, you know, repeatedly attacking the British forces. Okay, so it's very difficult to take a neutral stance when you're actually physically being attacked by one side of the community. Now, this obviously escalated into the full-blown troubles, and over a period of years, it went on and on and on. Let's let's have a look, before I go any further with this, let's have a look at the actual background in terms of history. All right, in terms of actual history, one of the first ones we go back to is right back in the 1600s. Right back, I mean, 1609. I mean, I don't even know if America was a country in 1609. It's 1609. That's a long time ago, all right? But this is where this stuff's going back to. And in 1609, Scottish and English settlers moved over, and they were called planters. Now, they were called planters, and they moved into land which was relinquished by landowners who had no one to leave the land to. So they basically occupied space which was going to rack and ruin. So these settlers from the UK, all right, the planters came over and occupied lands that had no ownership. All right, and they were given this land by the by the people of Ireland. They were said, you know, you have this land, we have no one to, to, to it's just going to go to waste. You have this land, you come and live here. Okay, so initially they were welcome as guests. Now this is where displacement of people is always ambiguous because after a small period of time, these people, the planters their presence grew stronger and stronger and stronger. And before you know it, they're moving into disputed territory. They're taking over land that they shouldn't be taking over. They're taking over land that nobody should has got any claim to. So they're just getting bigger and bigger. And in a couple of the counties, particularly Antrim and Down, this started to result in conflict between the native Catholics and the planters. And this led in turn to two religious conflicts. Now, these are religious conflicts now. This is straight Catholic versus Protestant. This is religion. This is all about religion, okay? It's not even documented as mentioning who they were, where they were from. It's mentioned as religious, okay? And they were known as the Irish Confederate Wars between 1641 and 1653. 
That was the Confederate Wars and the Willamite War between 1689 and 1691. Both these wars were fought in and contested, but both were won by the Protestants, okay? They then started to dominate the northern areas of Ireland. Some areas down south were also beginning to become sort of infiltrated by them. So their presence on, on Ireland had now become more than just, you know, well, you have this farm, you have that farm, you have this bit of land, you have that bit of land. They were now embedded, ingrained. They had communities. They had a large presence there, a large presence which eventually would lead to, the, to, the, to some of the counties breaking away and becoming part of the crown in the UK. 1791 to 1790, following the foundation of the Republican Society of the United Irishmen by Presbyterians, Catholics and liberal Anglicans, who all clubbed together to try and quash the Protestants, they had a failed rebellion in 1798, and sectarian violence between Catholics and Protestants continued. So you can see, even as far back as 1791, there was sectarian violence, sectarian violence being Protestant versus Catholic, okay? And I can't stress this enough, this Protestant versus Catholic thing. And it's one of the things that even now, when you speak to some people, even in Scotland, in some of the estates up there, who, for the want of me, I can't imagine why why they get so involved and so heated when it was the Scottish with the with the English who, eventually, who, who originally first went over there together, it's very difficult for, for some of these people to actually understand because they don't understand. This, this history goes back a long, long way. I speak to Ulstermen, I speak to Irishmen, and I speak to people from both sides of the community who don't understand this. So when I hear people banging on about it in, in places like Scotland, you know, young lads, 20 years old, supporting clubs like Celtic, you know, wanting harm on the British Army because of the troubles in Northern Ireland, they don't even know what the troubles were about. They weren't even alive when it was still going on. It's ridiculous. It really is. But there you go. That's my little rant over on that one. Okay, so coming on up into 1912, 1922, by the second decade of the 20th century, home rule or Irish self-governance was on the brink of being conceded due to the, due to the agitation of the Irish Parliamentary Party. Okay, so the Ulster Covenant was going to come into force and then it was going to, you know, they, they carved up the land, etc., etc., etc. You're now starting to see different parties representing different things. You're starting to see the emergence in proper of the Irish Republican Army, the UVF, the Ulster Volunteer Force. It's beginning to look more moulded into the sort of stuff that we saw later on in the 60s. The Irish Volunteers split with a majority known as the National Volunteers supporting the war effort, all right? So you can now see we now got into First World War and Second World War territory where the good of the whole of Ireland, regardless of whether you wanted to be British or not British, was at jeopardy from Germany, all right? Now we've got, now we've got a proper war going on. Now we've got people trying to take everything off us, all right? So there was an element in Ireland who clubbed together and fought bravely alongside our troops, our American troops, you know, our European counterparts, all that sort of stuff. Everybody clubbed together to batter the Germans, which we did. But then once things had settled down, you know, later on that century, in around the 60s, it started picking up again. You know, by this time, a marginalised remnant, the Irish Republican Ardy, survived the Irish Civil War. This would become a major impact in Northern Ireland, all right? So in the late 60s, let's have a look at the late, let's have a look at a few of the timelines now then. In the late 60s, there's literal argument on the exact date of the start of the Troubles. Different writers have suggested different dates. These include the formation of the modern Ulster Volunteer Force, 1966, the Civil Rights March in Londonderry in 1968, and the beginning of the Battle of the Bogside on the 12th of August, 69. Or do you go right back to the deployment of British troops on the 14th of August, 1969? Wherever you believe the Troubles started, the Troubles as we know them today started 
in the 60s, without a doubt. Okay, that is that is without a doubt when the troubles as we know them started. So let's just give you a quick, a quick sort of like a quick splurge over over some of the events that happened. In August 1969, there was riots and a massive aftermath, okay? All this, it's really difficult. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's going to take me more than one show to explain all this properly, but throughout all this trouble that they've had, they still have every year the Prentice Boys of Londonderry marching in the, as, as they do in their marching season. So there's always been this sort of like one-upmanship on their neighbours, all right? So there's always a show of strength from one community against another. None of it, by the way, helps, but... You know, you can understand why they do it. So 1969, there's riots. By the time we get into the 70s, violence peaks and Stormont collapses, okay? So now we're into a proper, a proper situation now where the military are deployed in full strength. They're out on the streets properly. In response to that, the IRA, they're bolstering their numbers. They're recruiting. Obviously, we're now seen as invaders. And I've got to tell you, if you invaded London... I'd stand and fight against anybody that came here. So it's not that I'm going to turn around and disagree with some of the motives and the reasons to why these people got involved. What I do strongly disagree with is the methods that they operated against. And turning to terrorism for me is never, ever an option. Violence is never. Violence is always the last card in the pack as far as I'm concerned, Okay, And that's how it should be. Nick Kaufman here. I'm the editor-in-chief for softrep.com, and I'd like to tell you about today's sponsor, Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. I've been wearing Mack Weldon's crew socks and crew neck t-shirts for the last few weeks, and words can't describe just how comfortable they are. Their t-shirts are my favorite from their product line because they're so light and have a perfect fit. I can wear them as my everyday shirt or even at the gym. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. The quality is incredible, and their online shopping experience is easy and convenient. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and use promo code SOFTREP at checkout. If you're looking for any last-minute holiday gifts, check out Mac Weldon today. The next real sort of timeline was a thing which is going to be a thorn in the side of the British Army for years and years to come, I would imagine, when as far as this problem's called. And it was Bloody Sunday. And I've had discussion on discussion on discussion about Bloody Sunday. I've actually met some of the guys that took part in Bloody Sunday. I've seen the aftermath of Bloody Sunday. I've seen the accusations flying both sides and we've, we will do a separate show completely on Bloody Sunday. But basically, there was a stand-to in the bogside at the bottom of the Rossville Flats where firing started. Okay, both sides will say that the other side started it. But no matter what, in the aftermath, there were quite a few civilians left dead. When they were discovered, they were unarmed. That's not to say that the weapons weren't taken off them or anything like that. I'm not going to suggest that for a minute, okay? But we, 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 like I say, we'll do a separate show on this altogether. But the aftermath of that was that they claimed that they'd been fired upon as innocent civilians. The parachute regiment who were involved heavily in it said, no, 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 the IRA attacked us. And so this standoff and this court cases and this hatred and the trust, moreover, within the community was completely lost, okay? And the hatred excelled to a new level with Bloody Sunday. So no matter how you see it, how you call it, 
how you want to how you want to go about things. Bloody Sunday did no favours for the for the for the for the peace in Northern Ireland. All right, it escalated things to a new level. All right, and in response to that, there were several heinous attacks by the IRA, and then in response for that, there's more deployment of troops, and you can see how things built up. So we're now we're now in the seventies. We're at full tilt. Mid seventies then. Late 70s, the whole thing is still going off. But the late 70s, war weariness was visible in both communities, all right? People were getting sick of this after the first 10 years on both sides of the thing. And don't forget, in every conflict area I've been to, and I've been to a few in my time, including Northern Ireland, where I served, uh, I've served around five years over there on operational duty, there's a lot of people in all these areas, everywhere I've ever been, that don't want war, that just want peace, that want to be able to cut around their everyday life and do their everyday thing, all right? And for whatever reason, after a while, this starts the, these conflicts start affecting everybody, either a displacement of people or the communities are getting worn down. It's a horrible thing to watch. In 1981... I'm trying to get my facts right here, so that's why I'm reading a few things off my notes. Um, in the 1981 Irish hunger strike, 10 Republican prisoners, seven from the provisional IRA and three from Inla, died of starvation. The first striker to die was a guy called Bobby Sands. Again, they were trying to get themselves treated as prisoners of war. These terrorists that were being... And I don't agree with that at all. They were terrorists. They're criminals, all right? They get locked away. But they didn't, they, they kicked and rebelled, and we had the blanket people where they shit all over their cells, they refused to wash and all this sort of stuff. And in the end, they, they, they went on strike until they started dying, Bobby Sands being the first. Again, I will do a whole piece on this incident, but it was another thing that helped pro propel the thing into the next 10 years. 10 years more in, in the 1990s then, the IRA continued its armed campaign. It now had a larger political window called Sinn Féin, piloted by the likes of Gerry Adams and Martin McGuinness. They were trying to get political, but with the same aims. They still, in my opinion, supported the activities of the Irish Republican Army, but they probably at this stage realised that they, need to, they needed to try and negotiate on a different plane or they were never going to go anywhere with any of this. Because the, the, the British government's stance on terrorism, and it will be forever, is we don't negotiate with terrorists. We can't do. You can't negotiate with terrorists. You can't be held to ransom because somebody is going to terrorise you. You just can't do it as a country. You will go down the tubes if you do so. Plenty of stuff started to happen then in the UK, on the mainland. They, pub, they bombed pubs. Innocent civilians now, not even going after people in uniform. They bombed pubs, so the Irish came over here, they bombed pubs. They did the attack on Hyde Park. They'll say that in response, we, we shot three of them in, in Gibraltar, which we did, but the, the intelligence suggested they were going to blow people. So it was real tit-for-tat stuff now, and I'm going to go into each one of these incidents. In fact, I'm going to do a show for you from Gibraltar, and I'm going to go through that whole incident from, from start to finish and how they were led to, how the whole thing unfolded. So that'll be quite interesting. But we then went into a period of ceasefires, and there were two two main ceasefires, of which I was out there for one in particular. And even though there were ceasefires on, there was still an undercurrent of activity happening in the back. And even once the political parties, the political process started to kick in, there was still a massive level of mistrust between all involved, okay? It, it's, it's, a really difficult, it's a really difficult thing to explain, and that's why I need to really break this down into different shows so that I can... I can I can explain, but today all I'm giving you is a broad brush aspect on how we got to where we are. 
Okay, finally, there's a collusion between the security forces and the paramilitaries. There were still massive issues, like they have what's called the disappeared. During the 70s and 80s, Republican and Royalist paramilitaries abducted a number of individuals. One of them was Captain Robert Nyrak. His body's never been discovered. A number of the bodies have never been discovered. Yet, they just disappeared from the face of the earth without a trace, all right? We know they were abducted by paramilitaries, okay? Yet, nothing's ever been done about it. So, they disappeared. They were shoot-to-kill allegations. Really shoot-to-kill. Now... The Republicans alleged that the security forces operated a shoot-to-kill policy rather than arresting IRA suspects. That in itself, really, is just horseshit. You would be shot if you were committing an act that was endangering your life or someone else's, all right? That is, that, and you don't shoot to tickle people. You don't fire warning shots. If you're going to fire a weapon, a weapon is designed to do one thing, and that's kill people. So, yes, there was a shoot-to-kill policy, in my opinion. And if you were going to fire your weapon, you went through a graded response which you were governed by a yellow card, which you all fully understood. You all had legal briefings on. So if you ended up shooting, if you ended up firing your weapon, the perceived outcome is you're going to kill somebody. So in that respect, yes, there is a shoot-to-kill thing. I'm going to cover that again in, 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 in great detail. But one of their main gripes was the killing of eight IRA men at Lock Hall in 1987. But those IRA men were heavily armed with body armour on and turned up with a bomb in a digger. <laughs> I mean, really? And you expect us, what were we supposed to do? Talk you out of blowing people up and shooting them? So you can see I'm getting rather heated with this now because some of this stuff really does beggar's belief. It's like, no, 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 no. Anyway, so as it progressed then, there were all sorts of social repercussions on both sides, massive casualties, okay? 3,000... 532 people were killed as a result of the conflict between 1969 and 2001. All right, that's a lot of people. That is a lot of people dying as a result of the troubles. That's more than a trouble to me, okay? Let's just have a look at the responsibility for the killing then. The Irish paramilitary groups, 2057. The loyalist paramilitary groups, 1027. British security forces, 363, okay? And they call us the aggressors, all right? Persons unknown, 80. Irish security forces, five, okay? So that's, you know, that gives you a breakdown. That gives you an idea of the activity that was being undertaken, all right? Obviously, with the largest largest toll going to the Republican paramilitary groups, who were the main instigators of a lot of the trouble, okay? In as far as actual fist and boot, bullet and bomb violence goes, all right? In as far as instigating the troubles as a whole, well, once we've been through all this, you know, I'll let you make your own mind up what you would have done if it was your estate or if you were a soldier serving there. That's what you've got to look at. But like I said, we will we will go into all this in massive detail. And I will break down some of the main incidents like Lockhall, like Gibraltar, like Bloody Sunday, like the Birmingham pub bombings, like Hyde Park. We'll do them on separate occasions and and, and you can build a picture because I think that there's too many people who bang on about, you know, the troubles and bang on again and don't understand. And this is is one of my main reasons of doing this is that there's a lot of people out there who are going to vote for Jeremy Corbyn who actively endorses and refuses to condone the activities of a terrorist organisation like the Irish Republican Army. And there's too many people in this country willing to waver that to one side for what can only be described as their own as their own wants, i.e., you know, Jeremy Corbyn's promised them this, promised them that, promised them the other. 
He could promise me, he could promise me a, a, a wage of a hundred grand a year and as much gold as I can carry out the out of the vaults. I am never going to vote for Corbyn so long as I've got a bone in my body that, that's got any loyalty to the crown. I can't because too many people suffered during those troubles for me not to condone the activities of the Irish Republican Army. So I'll leave it there with you. Um, that's that that that's how I feel about it. Like I say, we will break it down. I want people to understand what went on. I am trying to be as unbiased as I can, but obviously I've been affected by the troubles myself. I've been in contact with the Irish Republican enemy uh, army more than once in my time, okay? Which was, I'll tell you those stories as well. But for now, we'll leave it there and I'll move on. Wow, that was a that was a that was a mouthful, wasn't it? But I, like I say, I think it's worth talking about because there's still people basing their decisions and not understanding exactly what went on during the troubles. There we go. So let's have some dogs, shall we? Let's talk about a dog. I'm going to talk about a dog, which is a hunting dog, all right? It's a fierce hunting dog. You get big ones, you get little ones, you get doy ones, all right? So across a, across a period of time, they've been bred in all different shapes and sizes. Nobody really knows where this dog came from. It's suggested that its roots were from Germany a very long time ago. But the poodle... The poodle. That's going to make you laugh, it? the poodle. Who doesn't like a poodle? All right, the poodle. Poodle is an extremely interesting dog, all right? It was developed especially for hunting, but hunting waterfowl. So they call it a diving dog, all right? It herds, it hunts, but moreover, it can do all that. It's a water dog, all right? It is a dog that's designed to work on the water, all right? So it swims. I, I only found this out not so long ago when I started looking at the dogs to do these shows, and it absolutely amazed me. And, you know, they cut these dogs in these bizarre sort of like, in these bizarre, you know, with the big thick feet, and they, they, they cut these shapes, and those shapes are designed to help the dog swim. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? So all those fancy haircuts you see on the poodles when they're showing them off at these various dog shows, they originate from giving the dog the best chance of swimming more effectively in water. How amazing is that? That's really cool, isn't it? So I was really impressed with that when I, when, I, when, I, when I first started reading into this. Many believe that the breed is a result of crosses between several European water dogs, including Spanish, Portuguese, French, German and Hungarian. Other historians think that the Poodle's predecessors are of North Africa and was imported to the, to the Iberian Peninsula and that the breed arrived in Gaul, where it was used for hunting, for its hunting abilities. There's no doubt that this dog is a hunter, right? There's no doubt that the agility of the dog, the way that it works, the intelligence of the dog, it's a very intelligent dog, all right? They're very, they're very, they're very good to train, right? You can train a poodle. It does what it's told. It's, it's a nice dog, all right? There's no doubt in my mind it's a hunting dog. Although it's probably seen by many people nowadays as more as a fashion accessory, when you actually look into the ancestry of the dog, there's illustrations of poodle-like dogs in Egypt, Roman, uh, Roman times and all sorts of things that go right back before Christ, okay? This dog is a nails dog. It's a good dog, all right? The bigger ones, the larger ones, I would imagine could be quite ferocious. You know, they are, they're a, they're a, although you've got the miniature and the toy ones and they're all very nice to look at and all that sort of stuff, you've got to not, you've got to have in the back of your mind that this is a working dog, all right? This dog was bred to work. This dog was bred to go after animals. This dog was bred, you know, to pull things out of, out of holes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, okay? So, a great dog. The sizes of the dog then, there are three different sizes. The poodle, toy, the miniature, and standard. And like I say, these aren't different breeds. They're just different sizes of the same dog. The toy poodle stands about 10 inches and weighs about 6 to 9 pounds. 
The miniature poodle stands 11 to 15 inches tall and weighs about 15 to 17 pounds. The standard poodle is 15 inches and taller, usually about 22 to 23 inches. And the males weigh 45 to 70 pounds. And the females, a little bit smaller, 45 to 60 pounds. So you can say that's quite a big dog. Do you know what I mean? And, and there's no fat on these dogs. They're healthy. They're fit. They're strong dogs, all right? The personality is said to be intelligent, loving, loyal, mischievous. Our four words, poodle enthusiast, continually used with this breed's personality. The poodle is also known for what fans call an air of distinction. It walks with an attitude. The poodle struts around like it owns a the place. They really are a cool dog, all right? If you see a poodle, it, it, my Andrew does it, my Scottish terrier, he does it. When he has his hair cut, he looks in the mirror and he goes, yeah, I look like the danglies. And the same with these poodles. They cut around like they own the place when they've had their hair done. They really do. They show off almost. They show off. But one of the best qualities which Andrew doesn't have, which these dogs definitely do have, they are highly trainable. And so that means that they're a good family dog. They're good with strangers. You're good in public. You can take them places. And because it's so intelligent, like I say, you can make it do things. The downside of it then. Poodles are generally healthy. But like all breeds, they've got certain health conditions. If you're buying a puppy... You need to buy it from a decent breeder, if you can. Buy one that's got all the paperwork with it and all that sort of stuff because it will come not with a guarantee. You can't guarantee anything in life when you're dealing with livestock or animals. But if you know the history of the thing, if you've seen the parents of the dog and all the normal stuff, all right, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to get something that is better than if you've just bought it from one of these puppy farms. They do have a couple of diseases that it gets. Addison's disease. I can't even say what that one's called in the thing about it's a, it's a serious condition, and it will end in a poor poor appetite and all that sort of stuff. So if your dog's not eating properly, it needs to go straight in. If it's a if it's a poodle, because they can have this this Addison's disease, and that disease can kill them. They get various other things: Crushing's disease, gastric dilatation or bloating. They are known to suffer from epilepsy. Their hips can go wrong. They are, like I say, because they are such a strong, fit dog. Normally, you know, I find with some of these breeds. The ones that their hips go is because they are such a thrusting, pulling dog. I wouldn't be surprised if Andrew has problems with his hips one day because he's always pulling, he's always choking at the lead, that sort of stuff. They're always exercising themselves to the max. But like I say, great dogs. So, the poodle. Who would have thought Who would have thought that the poodle was a swimming dog? There you go. Just goes to show you. Anyway, look, I should be around again in the next, in the next week or so, I think, my next show's on. Uh, don't forget, in the meantime... Get yourself along online, have a look at the Crate Club. They're turning out some great stuff for Christmas. I'd be lost without my crate for Christmas, I can tell you. I also have a butcher's app that what I'm doing online. Um, I'm heavily featured on, on the, on the SoftRep Facebook page. You've got SoftRep.com, of course, where you can go and have a look at some really cool stuff. Lots going on the pipeline. Certainly lots going on next year. You should hopefully see a lot more of me. Got some really cool stuff planned for next year. I'm going to let you know very shortly how the elections went and all that sort of stuff. So we'll do a show dedicated to the elections, probably another dog and a bit more of the troubles. So until then, until next time, and I'll see you all very soon. Who dares wins, and I'll see you all later on. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.